Um, page 26, which is Genesis chapter uh, 25. If you've been here the last few weeks, we've been looking at a series going through the life of Abraham. Uh, Abraham in, the, in Genesis chapters 12 uh, through to 25. Uh, three weeks ago, we looked at the very first verses that talk about Abraham uh, in the Bible in Genesis chapter 12. And then since then, over the last month, we've been in Sunday sermons and in connect groups. For those of you in connect groups, we've been working through the life of Abraham. And today, we've got to the last um, bit of Abraham's life. We're going to look at the very last words um, about Abraham in Genesis, and they're in Genesis chapter 25. Um, So I'm going to just read verses 7 to 11 in Genesis 25. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar, the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahai Roy. Let's pray. Lord God, this morning we simply pray that you might teach us about bold faith. And we pray for each one of us gathered here that you would fill us with bold faith. We pray that you might do that. And we pray this not in our name, but in the name of the one Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this for his glory. Amen. Well, I have uh, recently realized that I am getting older because, uh, let me give you the reason for that, it's a bit of an obvious statement, I know, Um, because, shock horror, I have started reading the obituaries in the newspapers. Uh, I've just started, the last year or two, I've found myself pretty much every day reading the obituaries in the newspapers, and I, I, I think back to when I was growing up. And I'd watch my mum and dad reading the newspaper, and I'd see them reading these obituaries, these, these lives of interesting people and all the interesting things they got up to, they just died. And I'd, I'd look at my parents reading the obituaries, and I'd think, what a weird thing to do. I mean, what a complete waste of time reading about people you probably never knew, and they're now dead. What is the point of that? But now I find myself doing exactly the same as my parents, uh, reading these obituaries. And I think the main reason, probably, as well as getting older, is because I'm, I'm nosy. And I quite like finding out about people and finding out things. And, and it's, I find it really, really just interesting, actually, sometimes to, to read about these people that you may have heard or you may never have heard of and actually just hearing maybe some sort of different area or different side of their life that you never knew existed. Um, earlier this year, there was an obituary of someone who I knew a little bit as a, a friend of my granny. So I, I knew her a little bit, and I knew her just as this old lady, just a friend of my granny. That's, that's all I really knew about her. And um, early this year, she died, and her obituary was in the Times uh, for various reasons. And um, I'm just going to read you a few paragraphs of her obituary in the Times. This, this old lady that I knew of said this. said she saw the Midwest of the U.S. from the back of a bus and the Grand Canyon from the back of a donkey and played canasta with film stars in Manhattan. She also worked at a mission in South Africa with her sister Claire and brother-in-law John. Tall and elegant, she had many admirers. 
On one occasion, a short break taken to get over a split with a fiancé turned into a magnificent travelling spree around the Middle East with her friend Virginia Llewellyn. The two ladies in their 20s set off in a Hillman Minx, that's a car, via Rome, uh, where they had an audience with the Pope. They snaked through a war zone in Syria, assisted a doctor vaccinating Bedouin tribespeople in Iraq, and narrowly avoided midnight arrest by the Yugoslavian army before driving back to the UK with no shoes, six tortoises, one for each godchild, and an Iraqi hitchhiker. Her husband had long held a pilot's license, but after one particularly nerve-wracking flight home from Newmarket in 1976, she got her own, proudly announcing that she could now beat those traffic jams. Even so, Josh, her son, said she was often late for church. Now, I I just thought she was a a run-of-the-mill old lady. But how wrong I was. You learn so much from an obituary. And really, our Bible reading this, this, this morning, it is an obituary. It's an obituary. It's Abraham's obituary. It's the final sermon in our series on bold faith. And the question is, as we look at this obituary, this little obituary, what does it focus on? What does it focus on? Well, it's not a list of sort of Abraham's acts of bold faith and his acts of blatant failing. It's not full of sort of quirky little stories that we never knew about, uh, you know, about a tortoise and an Iraqi hitchhiker. But rather, what we get in these final few verses is a summary of how things are going in terms of each of the promises that God gave to Abraham right at the start of the whole account of Abraham. I wonder if you remember them. Back in Genesis 12, as Abraham, you remember, as he leaves his family, he leaves his country, he leaves his father's household, God promises to Abraham three things. God promised to Abraham a people, a place, and a blessing. And over the last few weeks, as we've looked through this life of Abraham, we've seen that these three promises, they are like three threads that run through Abraham's life. They run all through Abraham's life, and then these three threads, they run throughout the whole Bible. And what we discover as we look at this little obituary is the same thing for each of these three promises. And it's this, that it's telling us that in Abraham's life, Abraham did receive a taster of each of these promises. He received a taster of them, but it was just a taster. And the obituary, each time with each of the promises, people place blessing, it is pointing us forwards. It's pointing us forwards beyond Abraham and saying there is more, there is much more to come. Let's just see it with each of the three in turn quickly. First of all, verse 8. Verse 8 is about the promise of a people. So it's about the promise of a, uh, uh, Abraham was promised a great nation was going to come through him and Sarah, his wife. And you'll remember that their son Isaac, after years and years of waiting, their son Isaac was eventually born. And in fact, the previous chapter, Genesis 24, some of you looked at it in connect groups, Genesis 24 is all about Isaac finding a wife so that his family can begin to grow into a great nation. Because obviously if Isaac didn't have a wife, then the nation would stop there. But what have we got by the end of Abraham's life? Just a taster, isn't it? Who's in this family, this nation? We've got Abraham and Sarah. We've got Isaac and Rebekah. Soon there's going to be Jacob and Esau. But that's it. It's not a whole nation. A whole nation as numerous as stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. That's what promised. It's not that yet, is it? Have a look at verse 8 and what verse 8 says. It says, Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, 
and he was gathered to his people. That's a fascinating phrase, that little phrase at the end of that verse there. He was gathered to his people. Because, of course, it cannot mean just that Abraham was buried in the family tomb because only Sarah, his wife's body, lay there at that time. She died, just Sarah, but it says he was gathered to his people, plural. So you see, this verse, it is pointing forwards. It's pointing forwards to an existence beyond death. It is pointing forward to the resurrection of all who have faith in the Lord, the gathering of God's people from every tribe and nation of this world. It is pointing forward. It is saying there is much, much more to come. How about the next promise? The promise of a place, verses 9 and 10. So the place that was promised to Abraham was the land of Canaan. And yet, what we've seen over the last few weeks, that all the time we've been looking at Abraham, he has been living in tents, just moving from place to place, not actually owning any of the land of Canaan at all. He doesn't own any of it. Until now. Look at verse 9 of his obituary. Verse 9, his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There we have it, just a little taster. Abraham has bought this field. We find out by the end of his life, he does own a teeny-weeny, tiny little bit of Canaan. And actually, the details of this purchase, they're recorded in Genesis 23. That's what that chapter's all about. You see, in this life, Abraham received a taster of the promise of a place. But it's just a taster. It's a tiny-weeny little plot of land. But it's pointing forwards saying there is this little bit and there is far more to come. Eventually, all God's people being gathered in God's place of the new heaven and the new earth. And then what about the third promise, the promise of the blessing? Certainly, Abraham has been blessed in his life in all sorts of ways. He has been a blessing to others too, hasn't he? But the promise, you'll remember in Genesis 12, that God gave to Abraham was that he would be a blessing. Uh, Through him, he would bless the entire world. And that hasn't happened yet. The blessing has just been to him and to his extended family. You see, so far it's just been a taster again of the promise. Just a taster of the promise of the blessing. But what do we see in the obituary about blessing? Just look at verse 10. 11, sorry, verse 11. It says, after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived near Beer Lahai Roy. Again, it's just a hint. Just a hint that blessing is going to continue. It's going to expand beyond Abraham. God blessed Isaac. The blessing is going to the next generation too. It's pointing forwards. It's saying there is more to come. And as we know through Jesus, this blessing becomes available not just to the Israelites, but to all the world. Blessing that is available for all as they come to Jesus. And blessing eventually in all its utter fullness. With no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. That's still in the future, in the new heaven and the new earth. So I hope you can see those three promises. People, place, and blessing. Just in this funny little obituary, right at the end of this account of Abraham, we see there is a taster that Abraham experienced in his life. A taster of the promises fulfilled. But just a taster. And there is more. There is much more to come. 
Now think about how this applies to us in our lives today. Of course, there are differences between us and Abraham. Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus. We lived 2,000 years after Jesus. Uh, What Abraham saw dimly as a future reality, Jesus Christ and him and his once-for-all crucified fiction on the cross, what Abraham looked forwards and saw dimly, we look back on as the historical foundation of our faith. Jesus, the one who fulfilled these promises. So there are differences between us and Abraham. But there is one thing that is exactly the same for us as it is for Abraham. We too, we have experienced just a taster. And yet there is far, far more to come. I'd love you for a moment just to imagine what it might be like to be a refugee. Okay, just imagine, obviously that's a, a, a difficult thing to fully do, but just imagine you fled from your country of origin for some reason, war, natural disaster, whatever it might be, and you come to a new country, let's say this one, and it's not perfect, far from it. You, you don't speak the language very well, you, you struggle for money, for food, for a job, but you are provided for in various ways, and it is, if you like, it is a taster of a decent life. It's far better than what you were experiencing in your war-torn country that you've just left. It's a taster. But it is just a taster. And you can imagine in your mind, you can imagine all sorts of ways for life to be much better than it is now for you in the UK. That is the kind of picture that the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament is painting for Abraham. And what the writer of the Hebrews does, he paints that picture for Abraham, but then he broadens it out to be a picture for every single one of us who live by faith in Jesus. He says, we have a taster, and yet there is much, much more to come. Uh, Up on the screen is going to come a whole chunk from uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, You won't be able to read some of it. That is absolutely fine. But it just shows you we've looked at various bits of Hebrews 11. There's a whole list. It's that famous chapter about by faith, a chapter of faith. And there's lots about Abraham all the way from verse 8 uh, through to verse um, 19, I think it is. And there's, there's lots we've looked at already. But I just want us to focus on the middle bit from verses 13 to 16. This is the bit where, if you like, the writer broadens it out. It's not just about Abraham, but it's about us too. And this is what he says. He writes this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And as you look at that passage up there, if you and I, if we want help thinking through what does it look like for you, what does it look like for me, what does it look like for us to live lives of bold faith? Well, in those verses, there are, if you like, there are two postures. There are two postures that I think are right at the heart of what we need, both you and me. You'll see them come up on the screen again. Firstly, look at the first posture. It's in verse 13, if we can have that up on the screen. Verse 13 is the first posture that we admit that we are foreigners and strangers on earth. That's the first posture. And then the second one's in verse 16. Here's the second one. 
that we long for a better country, a heavenly one. Let's look at those in turn. Let's look at the first one first. This, this first posture to, I admit that I am a stranger on earth. Now, let's be honest, it's not a comfortable phrase, is it? We, we want to be known. We want to be liked. We want to be in the, in the inner circle, in the inner core. But when it comes to life on earth now, if we want to be people of bold faith, we are to be marked by a posture that recognizes that we as Christians are strangers on earth. Let me give you a few examples of that. I think of somebody who recently resigned from their job because they were being asked to lie in their job. And as a Christian, they said no. They said, no, I'm not ultimately from the country of my company and I'm not going by its rules. No, ultimately, I'm a foreigner. I'm a stranger. I'm from the country where Jesus Christ, he is king, and so I'm not going to compromise on Jesus' word. I'm going to go by his rules, the rules of that country, And so I'm going to have to resign my job. That's living with bold faith. Or I think of somebody I chatted to just this last week in the church. I was talking with him about what it means for him and his wife to be bold with their finances. You know, when the country of our culture that we live in says, I need all these things says, I must operate at this standard of living right here, just like my peers, I must taste it all now. When that's what our culture says, it is a bold thing to then say, I'm a foreigner to that culture. I'm a stranger to that culture. I live with Jesus Christ as my king, and I want to obey his call in his word for me to be generous, for me to be sacrificial, for me to operate at a lower standard of living than the culture would say. Because I'm a refugee. I'm just passing through. To do that, to choose that, that is living with bold faith. Or I think of somebody else I talked to this week who's who's part of the church. Uh, She was going, last weekend, she was going to an adult bull pit, as one does. Um, And um, she was going with some old friends of hers from school. And she prayed, before she went to this adult bull pit, um, she prayed uh, for boldness, for opportunities to speak about Jesus with some of her friends from school who she hadn't seen in a while. And as she was praying for that, she felt that, that God was, was speaking to her and God was giving her a picture about one of her friends, one of these friends she was going to see. So there we've got it. It's not, not 100% definitive word from God in the Bible, but it is a, a word that is needing to be tested, a prophetic picture that's needing to be tested. God's speaking to a specific situation about a specific person. And this picture that she felt she had was for one particular friend who she was going to see, and the friend was trapped and needing to experience truth and freedom. So this Christian, what she did, she prayed, and she said, Lord, if I'm meant to share it with this individual, would I get an opportunity during the day when we all go into this adult bull pit, would I get an opportunity when it's not just all as a big group, but just the two of us by ourselves, so I can actually share this, this, this thought that I have from her for God. And sure enough, during the day, it did happen. There was a time when it was just the two of us. They were in a chicken shop, And they were eating chicken wings. But it was just her and her friend. And so she thought, right, here's the moment. I'm going to take the bold step. I'm going to obey you, Lord. I'm going to speak out what I believe is for this friend of mine. I'm going to speak out, Lord, what I think you are telling me to tell her. And I may look stupid. I may look like a stranger on earth, but I'm going to obey you, even if she might think I'm totally bonkers as I say that. 
but I'm going to be bold and say it. And what happened? Her friend stopped eating mid-chicken wing. She said, what you've just said then is spot on where I'm at in my life now. My life's off track. I've been looking for meaning in love and relationships that hasn't worked. I've actually begun to read the Bible occasion. I've even gone to church. That picture is totally right. I'm feeling trapped and I am searching for truth. That Christian lady in our congregation, she was living with bold faith. Now think of all three of those examples. In all three of those examples, there would have been fear, wouldn't there? There would have been fear. Fear of quitting a job. Fear of living at a lower standard of living. Fear of looking a plonker. In each of those cases, there would have been a fear. And having a bold faith does not mean we don't have any fear. But what it means is we recognize that there are other things that are more important than our fear. You see, when your fear of the rules of your culture are outweighed by your more important awe of the one whose kingdom you're a part of, when you lean on and you look up to something bigger, someone greater than anything we might fear, then you and I will live with bold faith because we'll be looking up and we'll be obeying God's word, whatever that might mean. That's the first posture that I want to encourage us to think through, what it means for you and I to acknowledge, to admit that we are strangers on earth if we're Christians. And then the second posture from verse 16 in Hebrews 11, the second posture is this that I long for a better country, a heavenly one. You see, each one of us, we experience so much in Jesus now. We experience forgiveness of sin. We experience God's Spirit living in us. We experience purpose in life. And yet, what we have not yet tasted now is a time when we'll be free from sin and suffering and death. That will be a reality in the future in heaven. You see, now there are times when God does provide for us in wonderful, amazing ways that we cannot guarantee now, when we get that taster now of what is only definite in eternity. You know, there's a, there's a, um, there's a clothes pop-up shop that we're involved in uh, at HTC that's happening tomorrow for children who have been relocated from Syria with their families. And it's happening tomorrow in Trinity House. And we've got a friend who's a Christian, and she's, she's quite wealthy, and she is amazingly generous and sacrificial with her wealth. And what she's done is she has given all sorts of clothes that you would never normally expect to find available for free in a pop-up shop for Syrian families. So there's a, a new Ralph Lauren puffer jacket for a child. There are uh, lots of new shirts from Gantt. And I'd so love to see tomorrow morning the face of some of those dear individuals who have come to this country for, for, to flee from the atrocities of Syria suddenly being given these designer, very expensive clothes for their children. Now, you know, there are moments like that in life for some of us. When we experience the pure grace of God, it's so wonderful. Maybe it's um, you know, two people who have been waiting and waiting and waiting for a spouse. They've been waiting for a godly Christian to share life with. They think that marriage has passed them by, and then suddenly God provides them with each other. Maybe it's somebody who's ill, who is struggling, who is deeply ill, and then God miraculously heals them. 
Those kind of things, they happen and they are wonderful tasters now of what is to come and they are to be celebrated and God is to be praised for them. But here's the truth, they're not guaranteed. That they're not promised to all of us in all situations now. And if we're clear on that, if our big joy, if our guarantee joy is the wonder of the future country, that heavenly one, that we are 100% totally promised in Christ, if that is our big joy, our overriding joy, then it frees us from self-pity in the here and now if we don't get what we long for in this life. You see, whether we are provided with a wonderful home or an amazing spouse or all our family members become Christians, whether we're successful at work, whether we stay healthy to a good old age like Abraham did, whether any of those things happen or not, if we are longing for a heavenly country, we won't value our gains in this life too highly and we won't be too disillusioned by our losses in this life too greatly. As we look forward... And as we trust God's promise for eternity, so it frees you and me to live lives of bold faith. You see, when we know how this story ends, when we know how the story ends, so we look forward to it, because it is incredible. And when we know how the story ends, then we know why we are in this story right now. And so we can live right now with bold faith. God could have given to HDC today a Martin Luther, or a Mother Teresa, or a Billy Graham, or a St. Augustine, or even another Wilberforce, but he didn't. God gave to HTC right now you and me. God has uniquely wired each one of us and God has uniquely placed each one of us with unique opportunities to live and to speak the gospel of Jesus with bold faith. Some of us here, we may become as well known as some of those individuals, but most of us won't. Yet every single one of us here, we will go through all sorts of challenges in life very similar to the ones Abraham faced. Housing challenges, relationship challenges, financial challenges, problems at work, problems of conflict, loneliness, worry, anxiety, you name it, we'll face it too. And if like Abraham, if we admit that we are strangers on this earth and we are longing for a heavenly country, well then we will be freed from living out of fear about those challenges. When we look up more than look in, when we look forward more than looking around, we are freed from fear and we are freed to be those who are living in bold faith, obeying God's word and trusting God's promise. HTC, let's face it, you and I, obituaries or no obituaries, we are getting older. All of us are. But the far more important question for each one of us is, are we getting bolder?